Proctor here with some conference announcements before we get into this week's episode. The O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference will be taking place April 2nd through the 5th in New York City. The O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference is the professional training event that's not just for software architects, but for any engineer, program, developer, or team leader who does part of an architect's job. You'll get coverage of the most important topics of the day from highly respected experts, leading sessions, hands-on tutorials, and in-depth professional training. If your job involves architecting and defining systems, evaluating tools and technologies, leading teams or mentoring others, and collaborating with system stakeholders, you'll want to be there. Save 20% with discount code USRG. For more information, visit www.oreilly.com slash pub slash cpc slash 50017. PsychoConf will be taking place on the 21st through 23rd of April. PsychoConf is a conference about PsychoGS, a functional reactive programming framework for the front end. Visit psychoconf.com to find out more. The call for presentations is now open for Velocity London 2017. Velocity is inviting proposals from system engineers, architects, developers, system administrators, operation managers, site reliability engineers, and more. People on the front line with stories of great success and worthy failures, especially if they provide clear ideas for what to do next. Proposals will be considered for the following types of presentations, 40-minute presentations, discussions or panels, as well as three-hour tutorials. Deadline to apply is May 2nd. For more information and to submit your proposal, visit www.oreilly.com slash pub slash cpc slash 68627. The call for presentations is now open for software architecture in London, UK. Proposals will be considered for both 50- and 90-minute presentations, as well as 3-hour tutorials. 50-minute sessions will be interspersed throughout the conference to introduce new concepts, a best practice, a view into the future, while 90-minute sessions will dive deeper into giving you information, techniques, and workflows you can bring back to work and begin using immediately. They are also looking for 3-hour tutorials that involve hands-on examples, working with other attendees, and frameworks and processes to implement for a significant change in your current architecture. Apply to speak by May 2nd. For more information and to submit your proposal, visit www.oreilly.pub slash cpc slash 68630. Tickets for FlatMap Oslo are available now. FlatMap Oslo is a functional programming conference with a focus on Scala and the JVM taking place May 2nd and 3rd in Oslo, Norway. Please go to 2017.flatmap.no to learn more. ElixirConf EU will be taking place on May 4th and 5th with tutorials on May 3rd. ElixirConf EU is a community conference created to promote education, networking, and collaboration with the Elixir, Erlang, and Ruby communities. For more information, visit www.elixirconf.eu. OSCON will be taking place May 8th through the 11th in Austin, Texas. The O'Reilly Open Source Convention combines the experience of the open source community with ideas and strategies for using open source tools and technologies and gives you exposure to the full stack and all possible configurations. There's no event quite like OSCON, the best place on earth to sharpen your skills and discover new techniques, making you better at what you do and igniting your love of all things code. Registration is now open. Save 20% on most passes with code USRG. For more information and to register, visit www.oreilly.com slash pub 
slash CPC slash 50016. LambdaConf will be taking place May 25th through the 27th in Boulder, Colorado, with training days available on the 22nd and 23rd and many conferences on the 24th. For more information, visit lambdaconf.us. El Mural will be taking place on June 8th and 9th in Paris, France. Evan Zapucki and Richard Feldman will be speaking, and the rest of the speaker lineup is online. Early bird tickets are sold out, but the Sandra tickets are still available. For more information and to register, visit elmurop.org. O'Reilly Fluent Conference will be taking place June 19th through 22nd in San Jose, California. Fluent spotlights the crucial technologies and frameworks of the web stack. JavaScript, HTML5, CSS, React, Angular, Containers, Docker, and other emerging tools that are transforming the way web developers work. Join hundreds of leading experts, innovators, and web professionals for top-notch training, advanced development and engineering content, and career-building network opportunities at Fluent. Save 20% with discount code USRG on most passes. Visit www.oreilly.com slash pub slash cpc slash 61309 for more information. Euroclosure will be taking place in Berlin, Germany on July 20th and 21st. Euroclosure is the biggest closure conference in Europe. Founded in 2012, the conference is a great place to meet closure developers and learn about what's happening in the language, in the community, and in companies using closure. The CFP is currently open and closes Friday, April 21st, and registration is open as well. Visit 2017.euroclosure.org for more information and to keep updated. BusConf is a non-profit, open space, unconference about functional programming taking place from the 3rd to the 5th of August in Germany near Frankfurt. They provide a platform for people to meet, teach, and learn about functional programming-related topics in any language. Ticket registration is open, and you can find out more at www.bus-conf.org. And if you know of any other conferences around functional programming, email contact at functionalgeekery.com, and I'll be happy to announce them. Lastly, if you're enjoying Functional Geekery, please help spread the word. If you leave a rating and or review on iTunes, or your favorite podcast directory, or even share your favorite episodes on social media, I need your help to spread the word about Functional Geekery. And if there are any guests or topics that you want to hear from or about, please reach out and email guests at functionalgeekery.com, and I'll put them on my notes for future episode ideas. Thank you for listening, and for all your support. Welcome to Functional Geekery. I'm Russ Proctor, and this week we have Justin Wu. Justin, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Hey, yeah, I'm a Korean-American living in Helsinki, and I came here after a bit of traveling and through knowing some people on Twitter, which is the, kind of not the most usual thing. But yeah, I do a lot of like PureScript stuff on my off time, and I use it to like develop some utilities for myself for tasks I don't want to do manually. And I spend a lot of time writing blog posts or talks and stuff. And then recently, I've also gotten into recording some egghead videos. So trying to evangelize some PureScript. And I came across you from the PureScript side and a little bit on Twitter. And then I stumbled through your GitHub and a couple of other things. And I saw your egghead stuff. So I wanted to get you on because it's been a while since we've had an episode that talks PureScript. So first, let's just start out with how did you get into software? What was the thing that got you into software and then eventually led you down in getting into functional programming and PureScript? 
I guess they don't have the most usual background because I studied physics in school. And for like four years, I worked this part-time job doing research where we were trying to make like hydrophobic surfaces and that never really like panned out. But I was also doing like bioinformatics minor work. So I took a few CS courses, learned a bit about like biology and organic chemistry. And then just I wanted to see more things that were like tangible, which sounds weird because in a lab, everything you make is like an actual physical substrate and computer programs are like just things that run on computers, but it felt like way more real to do like programming. So I ended up doing internship at a local software company in Arkansas. And that's how I got my start doing programming. And what was that start? You could start doing an internship. Where did you start? At? Was that you started with some basic HTML JavaScript side? You were doing some scripting or IT administration? What got you into the software when you were getting that job, what was that foundation that was setting the path for moving on to eventually discovering functional programming and PureScript? So I did like some really basic like Java work, like your average string MVC, trying to figure out like what was going on with mountains of XML that like somehow created Java classes. And while doing that stuff, I also did like some HTML and JS just for some visualization of some data. And so that got me into doing more programming at home where I just did a whole bunch of front-end things where I played around with script a little bit and then mostly just doing stuff with like JS. And this is around the time when like React was starting to go into public releases. So I played around with React some. And then I ended up getting a new job to move to DC and ended up doing React full-time there. So I've been doing React mostly for a couple of years now and working with JavaScript, compiling down ES6 JavaScript. And in my spare time, I've been doing some closure script a little bit and learning a little bit about Elm. And then eventually after doing some Elm, I was kind of feeling like there might be more things I could try out if I learned some other things. So that's how I stumbled upon PureScript and started learning more about functional programming. And you're coming from the Java side during work. You pick up a little bit of HTML and JavaScript. What was the thing that prompted you to start looking at ClojureScript first and then say, okay, well, I looked at ClojureScript, let's look at Elm, and eventually move all your way into PureScript? What was that first bite that said, hey, this is worth checking out. Maybe I can do this. There's something here. What was that? I think I did ClojureScript mostly because I thought about other languages to use on uh, JVM. So maybe things that might be useful for work. And I looked at Scala, but I thought it was a little bit like scary. So I looked at a couple closure talks and thought, uh, well, the way that people work with problems in closure seems simpler. So that's how I started using closure some and closure script as a result. But then after I started doing more Elm and just writing JavaScript for, I kind of stopped using closure. So I haven't really looked at it in a long time. And was that first closure and closure script experience your first functional programming experience? Or were you having some other functional programming stuff when you were doing your minor and some of your calculations that I would assume happen in your physics major and physics work where you're sitting there and having to analyze these numbers in the background and having to go run the data was the closure script your first look or did you get some foundations of some of that? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, closure script was definitely my first experience to functional programming. And like, just think about like immutability and all kinds of nice things with like function composition and higher order functions. Because before in the lab, I mostly did some C++ projects with WinForms to just plug in some data points. And then for physics classroom stuff, I did like some R for lens calculations. And then for bioinformatics, it was mostly just really hacky Perl scripts to try to do Smith-Waterman sequence alignment or something. So definitely, I hadn't looked at functional programming at all until closure scripts. And I know sometimes R, which you mentioned, kind of gives some of that functional programming background to some people, or it sets the foundation, just more the math style. And if you've got the physics background, I was trying to set that frame of when you start picking up closure script, you start taking a look and saying, hey, there's something here in closure and closure script. Here's another language I could use on the JVM. Did that foundation that you built up through your math background with physics and the bioinformatics analysis and the R playgrounds and some of this stuff, was that helping you set that foundation and it kind of aligned with the way you thought? Or was there yet another jump because you're like, well, I'm doing C++ or I'm doing C and I'm doing Java and I'm doing some of these Perl scripts. And now this is a new way of thinking because I've already locked my brain into thinking in the ways of other languages when it comes to trying to write the code to get my job done. Yeah, unfortunately, I was really never good at math. And even for physics, I did the bare minimum math that I needed to do. And physicists are pretty infamous for like saying, if you need to take away the derivative on both sides, you just multiply by the derivative or whatever. It's stuff that mathematicians always cringe at, right? So I didn't really have like much of a real mathematical background or functional mindset before. And the thing that just got me to use closure script more and look into other functional languages was just that I tried to learn some typical OOP stuff and it was too hard. And I figured that since functional programming is supposed to be more mathy, it should be more grounded in typical literature that I could read about. And that's how I started learning more about functional programming. And was that a relatively straightforward leap for the most part when you were getting into closure and closure script? I know there's a little bit of a jump of thinking about immutability and some of the stuff is more pure than less pure, as opposed to once you start making it into Elm and React a little bit in the way they have their state management through redoing the whole state to moving into pure script. Was it pretty straightforward at that point? Was the progression fairly linear or did you kind of hit a little stumbling block when you were first getting in? Yeah, I think with going into Elm and stuff, it was kind of linear. And the reactive programming stuff that Elm used to have, say in version 0.14 when I first started looking at Elm, it wasn't too unusual because I had been using RxJS and then I had like used like core async in closure. So the reactive programming stuff was also a nice way for me to start working. I think with the current subscription command system that they have now, that would have confused me much more than the signals, which is the opposite of what they want to say with the removal of signals and point seventeen and such. But for me, that actually made the transition to learn functional programming much smoother. And so you get this foundation so that you're slowly building this up over time. You get the closure, closure script. You take a little bit further with some of the reactive stuff that React gives you, 
not completely functional, but not unfamiliar to functional people. Functional people are like, yeah, we think we can actually use this as a good selling point if we're going to have to be in this world. We can at least bring some sanity around functional programming here because state goes in, state goes out. We're not maintaining the state across the thing. We're just doing a redraw, game cycles, all that stuff that people sell. You then move to Elm around that same time. You get some of this foundation for Elm. Elm's got a little bit more types. How did you find going from a C or C++ world and Java world, or even some of the Perl stuff, which was untyped, to going to script, which didn't really have strongly typed, but it's still a little dynamic because you're like, as long as it meets the rough contract, I can do this. JavaScript, same way. JavaScript, a whole lot more looser with the types. You're like, oh, I'll coerce for you if you don't care. To starting to pick up Elm, which starts to have, no, 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 you've really got these strong types. Yes, we've got error messages, and they're nice and friendly, but if you don't understand what some of these types mean, you're still kind of puzzled. What was the transition from going back and forth between the different ranges of types that you had encountered? I think it's definitely much easier to work with aesthetically typed languages because they are guardrails, the compiler helps you. And most importantly, since with Elm, it was like the first time when I could like write down types and actually start modeling my problem. So I guess that was like a new thing for me where before I would write down types mostly just to satisfy some Java beans requirement or whatnot. But for the first time with Elm, I was actually like writing down all the types of my program and then just writing the implementation as obvious as it would come with the guidance to the compiler. So yeah, I think it definitely made me even more biased towards static type style because now if I looked at dynamic code, I just have no idea what to do. But then, of course, with Elm, the thing that really started bothering me was that with RxJS, I'd been using observables and observable.map, flat map, and whatnot. And there's this parallel between observables and arrays and whatever, right? But then Elm not having higher kind of types and not having type classes for these kind of basic things made me really just start looking again for why can't I model this in Elm and what can let me model this in something? Because I feel like map operation, now I know it's for types that have instance of functor. It's like, I should be able to do this map with anything that has a map and it shouldn't be concretely typed down to that. It's So when I work with Elm, I thought designing with types was like really nice, but then I couldn't model as much as even Java, Java with generics. So I had to like keep on going looking. And that's how I got into PureScript. And that was going to be my question was, it's been a while since Elm, and I know it's evolved. So does Elm not have any higher kind of types? Or is there a certain subset that it provides, but you were looking for a more extensive kind of higher kind of types? Because I thought it had things like, where I have a tree of type node that has a type of some kind of generic type, and it didn't have to be something specific it doesn't have to be a tree of ints or a tree of strings or am i misremembering my elm yeah i guess you could do that but say i think i saw some demos from like hardy jones where he was approximating higher kind of types by like creating a higher kind of type type and then it would have like two parameters and he would use them in all kinds of fancy ways and that was the thing i was looking for where Instead of array of A and list of A, I wanted to get just F of A and have functions for F of A with some constraints. And even to this day, 
Elm doesn't have anything like that. And it's kind of not a huge priority for them because Elm kind of is a front-end framework with a language attached rather than a programming language with the framework attached, if that makes any sense. But it was kind of one of the things that pushed me away from using Elm. And I forgot to mention that I had been using Elm with Node mostly, which is kind of the wrong way to use Elm. But I had been using Elm with Node because I wanted to have something that was statically typed and I could test easily. And I would know that when I wrote it and it compiles, I know that it's, well, not 100%, but mostly mechanically correct. So I only have to think about the logic that I'm writing. So I was using Elm, using the signals to do some node stuff where I was feeding in file names using Elm to actually like validate which file names I was actually going to use and then piping that back into my wrapper node program that which would download stuff. And I was using this to go over some lists on the internet to download a bunch of stuff. And so when they released a new version of Elm that took away signals, then I was stuck in a position where I had been using PureScript before for some small demos like Etch-Sketch and whatnot. And now, because of this change, I couldn't keep it in Elm, so I had to rewrite it in PureScript for me to be able to maintain it in the future. And what put PureScript on your radar? You mentioned one of the things that you were looking for was the more expressive, higher kind of types being able to say, it's not just an array of A's or a list of A's. I want something that's some sort of F of A's where F is something. What was that thing that put PureScript on your radar first and made you start to take a look at it and then come back deeper and say, no, 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 I think PureScript is the thing for me? I think it was honestly just seeing some of Bodle's tweets on Twitter that made me remember that PureScript existed and look at it. I don't think I ever like Google search functional programming language or anything. Yeah, just happenstance of Twitter. And so you mentioned the change in signals in Elm and that you were kind of using them in the way they weren't designed because you're doing node services and wanting these little scripts, but having purely static stuff. What was the impetus behind that and moving to PureScript further than saying, I'm just going to jump to Haskell or I'm going to just jump to some of this other stuff instead of just saying, I'm going to go in our PureScript and I'm going to keep this and still go in that node server side framework with something that goes to JavaScript. Honestly, it was mostly laziness, and I had existing JavaScript code that wrapped this thing, and then I was using some node libraries, and I didn't really want to pick up new libraries to use, right? Like, I was using Cheerio to be able to use CSS selectors to grab elements from a page, and I knew that if I use Haskell or something, first off, I didn't know much anything about Haskell. I had never used Stack at that point, so my only experience with Haskell was installing some Voodoo makes a cabal and stuff, and it just never compiled correctly. So using other languages kind of out because I was just scared to try new things, and I was too lazy to give up on my existing JavaScript FFI code. So that's what really made me jump to PureScript, that I could just like foreign import the JavaScript I'd already written to fit the purpose. Okay, and... Some of that is people will think about saying, hey, if this is Haskell-esque being pure script, I want Haskell in the browser or as much Haskell-style stuff in the browser as possible. So yeah, pure script is the obvious choice. 
But then there have been certain parties who are like, well, why would I do it on the server when I could just use Haskell? I know PureScript's got some nice things that they've cut out and refined because a lot of stuff has gone into Haskell and they've cleaned it up some and cleaned up some of the lessons learned. But it's always interesting to see why people pull one way or another when it comes down to there's not a huge strong argument either way for some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, just the laziness, the FFI, and being really unfamiliar with Haskell. And then also, I think some of the like messaging around like lazy evaluation is also kind of scary. You know, I didn't know what that even meant if somehow my program would never even execute or something. I don't know. I mean, nowadays, there are like plenty of people using Haskell on the browser, right? With like JS. It's still kind of young and FFI for it is like awkward at last I heard, but I don't know. PureScript, number one thing I think it has is just having a nice records index. I think that's the number one thing that people will notice when they use PureScript over Haskell, right? And that was something that I definitely enjoyed where once I started trying to write some Haskell, it kind of boggled me that the record syntax is still so awkward. And that makes sense. And it's always just more the perspective of seeing where everybody comes from and where those trade-offs and decisions get made for why this versus that. So you pick up PureScript. You start saying, okay, well, Elm's not here. I'm seeing PureScript in the past. I'm going to pick it back up. What was that transition like? How much did you play with PureScript before going into Elm, or how much did the Elm set the way? So if someone's in Elm and they say, well, maybe I do miss some of these things. What was that next transition looking like that said, I've got these higher kind of types, I know about them, I know what I can do. Was it pretty straightforward from there for you? Was your foundation set already and this was just yet another linear step? Or was there another kind of roadblock to say, oh, this is where I want to go, but it's not quite the nice jump that I'm going to get immediately and it's going to take me a while to get productive i hadn't used purescript before elm so i'd only heard about it right so when i switched to purescript i didn't know what most any of the operators meant so i spent a lot of time just staring at some docs i didn't really know how type classes worked at all and it wasn't really until even i saw some lecture from someone talking about how how type classes kind of get translated into a dictionary at compile time for Haskell until I kind of understood finally what type classes work like. So there's been a lot of rough edges for me to learn PureScript and learn some Haskell. And I'd say that I still am missing quite a lot of fundamental knowledge, right? But at least I have enough knowledge to do some small projects. And basically in each small project I've done, I've been learning one or two new things each time. So I don't know. I think it's a never-ending learning process, but that's also quite exciting that I can never actually know enough to say I'm like an expert or something, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. And some of that was just the foreign operators coming in and just figuring out, okay, well, if I want to do this, this translates into another function name, and I got to figure out what some of these things the triple greater than, what's that called when someone refers to it? And what does that actually mean? And what does the uh, backwards arrow thing look like or whatever it is? And a lot of that was just trying to figure out what those things meant when you were getting in and say, well, I know what I want to do. What's the equivalent of doing this in PureScript then? Yeah, kind of. 
And also just learning stuff like I'd never used dude notation, right? Because Elm expressly doesn't have them. So even learning like how dude expression works, basically I avoided it for a while until I finally clicked like what was supposed to be happening. And then now I've been just abusing them everywhere where I use dude notation to set values of variables and do blocks. So I don't know, just like learning all kinds of things, just step by step has been pretty hard. And I never learned about any category theory stuff. So functor was quite foreign to me, monoid, monads, all these things were quite foreign. So I had to spend a lot of time just reading through some instances of those to figure out what the kind of vague idea of them would be so that I could expect what the concrete implementation of whatever type I'm using might be. And that gets into if you're coming across some of the category theory stuff. And part of that seems like it fills in with the do notation where it's more about the raw purity. And you're having to make this kind of sense where it's like, I can get away with doing some unpure functions, doing some mutability, doing some side effects here. If I really need to, I could put a console log in my thing. What were the resources that you found that if you're unfamiliar with the concept of some of these category theory things of functor, applicative, monad, monoid, etc., and the purity and how you take advantage and use those, what were some of those resources that you found as you were getting in that said, okay, I think this is starting to set the foundation for me. I know people have mentioned these terms because there's a large enough community that talks about this, but they talk about it for someone who already knows what these things mean. What stuff helped you get started and helped you understand it the best? It's hard to say. I think the thing that actually made me learn it the best was just reading the instances. I don't know. It's really stupid and it's really inefficient, but reading like the array instance for all these type classes made them make immediately much more sense to me. And then I went back to read some various literature like Bill Freeman wrote PureScript by example. So that's been like a really great resource for me to learn stuff. The Haskell book from Chris Allen has also been quite good for me to review things that I think I know and then learn new things about things that I've been using but didn't know properties of. So it's kind of just been a total whirlwind of various resources I've been just constantly reading. And I still spend a lot of my time just reading some base library code from PureScript and Haskell to learn how things work. So I don't know. I don't really have a very efficient way of learning things. I just try to read as many different things as I can. That makes sense because I know certain people learn in certain ways. And sometimes it's just that mere exposure effect of hearing the same thing over and over. Eventually, one of the times you're going to hear it click. And That seems to be the way a number of people do it, but sometimes people get lucky and can find those resources that say, I didn't actually have to repeat a lot because I found a really good resource. And I'm always hopeful that one of the guests eventually can help find and narrow down some of those resources and say, no, this actually explained it really well, really clear, and got it, even though I'm not doing it day in and day out and having to apply it, as opposed to you when you're actually learning pure script. But Say, if you want to understand this, this takes a little context and you can go do it because it's always nice to be able to help people with those things. So it's not you got to put in the hours and hope you pick and come across good tutorials versus bad ones that can explain this well. Yeah. And I mean, if I can say something, it's that 
even as a JavaScript programmer, when I read JavaScript explanations of various functional programming concepts, they make absolutely no sense to me. As in, there's like so much code that I have to read through. I don't know where things are. Not seeing the type signatures really hurts my ability to like reason about it. If you write a flat map with JavaScript and you're like doing like xx dot concat, like whatever, 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 dot flat map, whatever, whatever, then not seeing type signatures makes me just lose track of what the end result of all the transformations was. So if anything, I very quickly found out in the beginning that I can't learn anything from JavaScript resources. So I shut them out and had to start learning from scratch with PureScript and Haskell what these things were supposed to be. I don't know. I mean, there's like a lot of people who are doing good work trying to teach functional concepts to JavaScript. But for me, that never works. So maybe it does work for some people, but for me, it was just super confusing. And that kind of leads me into, you started to pick up your scripts. You started to do this. You've gotten to the point where you're wanting to help evangelize this. You're saying, hey, I want to share what I'm doing with PureScript. I want to help people understand and learn and share and hopefully drive more people to PureScript. So the first part of that question is, what is it about playing in PureScript and working in PureScript that makes that sale to you that says, there's something here. This is what it solves for me. I want to share this with others. So we'll start with that and then get into what you're doing and how you're approaching it. But let's start with just what about PureScript is that thing for you? Yeah, I guess it's just that since it compiles to JavaScript, it runs on everything that runs JavaScript, right? And it doesn't have a runtime either. So it's quite light in terms of cost. Of course, people might complain about performance of some things like curry functions, but in the overall scheme of things, the runtime cost of PureScript is so low that it runs on like even toasters, right? So I really like PureScript because it runs everywhere. You can do whatever you want with it. And even for someone like me who doesn't actually use that advanced of features, you can very readily do stuff with it. Say in PureScript, I think the best solution for UIs is Halogen. But if you don't understand the types of Halogen and it's super confusing, then you don't have to use Halogen. You can use Pux or you can just use the direct bindings to the DOM and stuff. Or you can just pass down your state to FFI and then just use React with straight JavaScript to render it, right? So I think because it lets you also pick how much you want to take at a time, it's really nice for people to be able to like say, okay, I don't understand this right now, but let me punt it to the future. And right now, I'll just solve it some quick and dirty way, if that makes any sense. It's just the varying degrees of buy-in that you can have makes it so much more easy to work with than going straight into Haskell or using Elm and then getting kind of weirdly stuck in this place where Elm doesn't let you do things that you feel like you should be able to do. And then I guess the other thing that helps sell it for you personally is you mentioned the type system and how you like to think in types. But was there anything else about making it and knocking it out quick and dirty and making it quick and dirty but still clean, it sounds like? What is it about some of that stuff that PureScript gives you that helps you make all these selling points when you say, look, sure, you can buy in a little bit. You don't have to buy in the whole thing and you can keep learning and keep going. But what are some of those problems that you find it solves for you just straight out of the box if you're going to introduce someone into that small little domain of, here, here's a little taste of PureScript? 
for me, it would just be that there's almost guaranteed mechanical correctness. So if you write a peer strip program, like 99.9% of the time, it's going to actually run. It's not going to like throw exceptions at runtime. You're not going to like accidentally use some partial function. There might be some logical errors, but the mechanical correctness is almost guaranteed. So I think that's my biggest selling point. And then you sell people on these things. What is a getting started story? It's been a while since I've messed with PureScript. have the intention to go back and do it a little bit more at some point in the future, but I know it's evolved since last time I've looked. What's the getting started story that if you try and introduce someone to PureScript, is it pretty straightforward? What's it look like? Especially because I've heard Elm has really fantastic error messages. I know PureScript is helpful. What's that getting started story if you're selling someone in on PureScript? Nowadays, it's quite easy. All you have to really do is just npm install global PureScript and then pulp. And then once you have pulp installed, you just create a new folder, go in there and run pulp in it. And it sets up the basic carpeting for you where you can just say like pulp run and it runs your program. And from there, you can get to work. And for every major editor, now there's a plugin that works with PSC IDE and PSC IDE comes with the compiler. So you can see like completions and like types and everything in all editors. And the one thing that I think nothing else has is that you can use type holes to actually put placeholders and get suggestions for what you should put in that type hole in PureScript. So say if you are dealing with an array and you put question mark and then a function for like A to B, then it will suggest to you that, hey, where you have this type hole, you should use map, functor.map or whatever. So I think just that kind of helper stuff has been really useful for me to write everyday programs and hopefully would help people that are getting started with PureScript. And for clarity, for someone who's not in the strongly, strictly typed languages like PureScript and Haskell, when you say typo, you kind of mentioned you put a question mark A to B. Is that on the type definition of your function? Is that Does it help you fill in your function? How does that typo work? Yeah, it's in the expression level. So if you put in like question mark what, and then you have a function after that and an array, then that question mark what is what's the typo? In Haskell, it's like underscore, but yeah, in PureScript, it's a question mark and then whatever identifier you want to give it. And it's marked it for the compiler to say, this is a portion where like the context needs to be just provided to the user. So everything around it gets solved. And then the user gets presented with this so that the user can then decide based on the signature, oh, right, in this position, I should be using this method or something. Okay, and that's why I wasn't sure if I've heard of it myself. And I knew some people probably hadn't even heard of it. And it was the level at which the type holes work. And so it's down at expression level, even not just even at a whole function where you're like, uh, I don't know the type of this function. You solve it for me and figure it out. For simple functions that take like one or two arguments, you can definitely just put a type hole there. And in PureScript's case, it will look up possible candidate methods that you could put in. But it definitely won't help you fill out the whole uh, method body. If you're doing something more more involved, then definitely there's more work involved. And so you start evangelizing it. 
we've outlined why PureScript, in your opinion, what it brings you. We've talked a little bit about the getting started story. And you're going out and evangelizing it. You're trying to do your blog post, trying to sell it. You've got this Egghead video out there now. You said you're working on some more videos for Egghead.io. What are the things you're finding when you're trying and evangelizing it that other people are being attracted to? Is it the same thing that you're attracted to? Are there certain catch points that people are getting hit on that say, oh, this is where the evangelization of PureScript is a little weaker because we're assuming this premise, but we need to do more evangelization at this level and more teaching at this level so they get what PureScript is. How are you finding when you're actually helping to promote this? the response of the community? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to sell, right? Like I go out there and talk about it, but the problem is just information overload because the vocabulary and the way of working is completely different. Even for a lot of people that I talk to, they might be using TypeScript and like some Lodash or maybe like Ramda and stuff. And then some people might be like Scala users, but they use it mostly for some specific purposes like Spark or something. So it's a ton of stuff. So people are kind of excited that I'm selling technical safety and the compiler helping you build stuff. But yeah, as far as like getting people to actually try it out, it's not super great, right? Because I'm, I try to present as little material as possible, but even the baseline is just a fire hose where even I would be pretty scared at, at first. So. I don't know. It's a little bit weird. And so if you're finding the excitement, at least, about some of this mechanical safety, and you kind of touched on a little bit, you mentioned the TypeScript crowd, the people who are starting to integrate their types into JavaScript, probably the Flow crowd, the Scala crowd, some of these other people who are used to at least starting to have type systems instead of pure dynamic languages. When you go out, you're starting to do this, you're starting to evangelize. What are the things that you think within that type safety, those things that people are looking for? Are they just looking for more of the purely mechanical stuff? Or are they looking for the more expressive type systems that you said kind of pulled you in and making sure you're being pure and all these other richer features that people are able to get when they get pure script? Are they just looking at pure script as the quick appeal that says, I can dip in, I can start to get some of this stuff. I don't need to take advantage of all these features here. As you said earlier, and that's enough to get them intrigued. Are they getting intrigued by knowing the full breadth of everything PureScript can start to do when it comes to that mechanical safety, mechanical checking of the software? I think it's different interest for different people. There are definitely people who are interested in how easy it is to work with data types to model things, like especially for some people who may be used to like say having a sealed trait and then having to have case classes extending it. Seeing how easy data types are to work with, it's really intriguing for them. For people using Lodash and stuff, where they're like used to trying to align the types, learning about functions like sequence that can run on any traversable and applicative to say, get your array of promises and turn it into a promise of array. That kind of almost automatic programming using types also gets them interested. And then there are also bits of demos that I've been doing where I show how you can use generics to derive JSON decoding and serializing. So that kind of stuff where you write a type definition and have code basically automatically generated from it 
also interest people. So it's been kind of a mix of different things that I'm showing in these whirlwind tours that have been getting people interested, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. And as you start evangelizing it, you're liking this. You're obviously liking enough that you're helping to try and promote it in the community. Is this still something that you're doing on the side, or have you been managing to pull this more and more back into your work? Are you still having to come back and say, well, this is JavaScript-based, but the team I'm on, I'm still having to do with JavaScript, and so I'm still working on that sales of bringing PureScript, or have you managed to PureScript back more into your work and day-to-day environment? And what's some of that stuff look like for how you're taking advantage of it now? My day-to-day work is still just normal JavaScript, so... I sell PureScript just as something that we should try on new projects or something. But in the end, yeah, all of my day-to-day work is just JavaScript. And I don't know. So I do the evangelization and do like educational material and stuff just because it's fun. And I've had a lot of fun writing PureScript. So I just want other people to have fun. So it's kind of like this weird mindset where I don't really try to think of it as marketing myself or trying to make money from it, but just trying to get more people to be excited about programming in general, if that makes any kind of sense at all. I know that's like a super weird mindset for normal evangelist people. That makes sense to me, at least. And I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there who contribute a lot to the community because it's a labor of love. And so if you're still doing JavaScript day to day and you're having to kind of sell some of these ideas into work, have you noticed the way you think about PureScript and types and say, well, if we don't really have types in JavaScript, we're not taking advantage of TypeScript. Have you noticed the way you think about types and sell that thinking to types of just being more functional, being more pure, those things that you like about PureScript? Have you noticed at least some of the adoption of just saying, look, we can fold some of these ideas back in? And are you noticing just the adoption of regular JavaScript and the way JavaScript is written day-to-day being changed just due to the influence of your working in PureScript and you're picking up those ideas and adopting the ideas from PureScript? For me, personally, I've changed the way of coding a lot, yeah. But, of course, I then take an even more conservative approach to writing JavaScript now. So I'm typically not using very many functional programming libraries in JavaScript because I think they're usually going to make things harder to read, and making things as static as possible. So doing as little dynamic transforms as possible has been like the result of me doing more pure scripts. So in many ways, it's made my JavaScript more boring. And for people I work with, I try to convince them to be more boring because of the risk factors. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been talking about pure script inside my workplace also. And people like watch them and say they're interesting and stuff. And so when I talk with them later about trying to make the JavaScript more boring and more static and safer to work with, they understand. But as far as PureScript adoption goes, I'm not entirely sure if I'm really affecting it inside work. Maybe getting more hobbyists involved, which hopefully will transition to more work projects being done in PureScript, but I'm not really sure. And I have a hard time believing that it's going to be a dramatic change right away. I know it happens sometimes, but you have to be in the lucky work environment that everybody there shares that same mentality. But to know how it influences when you go back and you say, look, I'm having to write 
Java, C, C Sharp, C++, Perl, Python, Ruby, some of these things which are now supporting some of these features and saying, look, I can actually get away with some function composition. I know what this means. I know how to try and isolate the things about immutability and try and keep this thing a little bit more pure because this could just take in the argument instead of being acting on and hoping that the context of JavaScript is bound to the right this because we're not doing it. So I didn't know how much of that adoption there at work and people like, oh yeah, boring JavaScript is nice. I don't really have too much experience of getting people to adopt Randa and I don't really use too much Randa JS or anything myself. So yeah, I- I don't know. For me, it's just been writing more and more boring code in JavaScript and trying to get people more interested in writing like Elm or Pure Scripts on their off time to try to incorporate some of the more safe practices into their JavaScript work. I don't know. It's a really downer answer, I guess. But and that's good. It's one of those things, just curious how this is kind of a throwback to some of the stuff you mentioned earlier where some of the functional programming techniques in JavaScript that you would come across. We're like, these don't really help me. And it was kind of, what were some, What was your experience if you found some of those things from your pure script work that if you're feeding it back into your team that people were clicking or not? I think one of the things I've been able to sell as a result is just like not using too fancy libraries. So like one example, immutable JS. Of course, whenever people make immutable JS objects, They are dynamic objects that have like methods and everything, and it makes things harder to serialize and work with and makes the types of like arguments to things unpredictable because it might be an immutable JS object instead of being a correct object. And it might not even be an immutable JS record, but just a map. So I don't know. I've been just mostly able to sell more boring JavaScript than trying to use more functional approaches because of kind of advertising through fear. <laughs> and so we're coming up on time, but I want to make sure we at least live a little bit of time for anything that you recall you think we should mention, anything that we didn't cover that you want to bring up. Is there anything else that we'd be remiss of at least mentioning before we start to wrap up the episode? So I think it'd be worthwhile to talk about like how in PureScript, we can automatically derive instances for generics and we can basically automatically drive serializers and deserializers with JSON. So I think that's like a major selling point for me. There's been some really interesting work done with Hyper. So it's kind of like servant for Node.js that Oscar Vikstrom is working on. So if anyone's interested in doing like strongly typed functional programming with Node.js on the back end, then I think that's definitely worth checking out. And Halogen has gotten even simpler recently with the one point of release. And it used to be quite hard to understand and like had a lot of like complicated things that were involved, but now it's much simpler to use and get started with. So if anyone's like looked at PureScript before and like looked at Halogen as a mature UI op- option, but it was like scared before, now it's really nice to work with and easy to get into. So I would encourage anyone to everyone to try out Halogen under front end. So quick cover on the generics. I saw your Egghead IO video, which you were talking about the generics for serializing and deserializing JSON. Can you give a brief overview of what the generics means? Because if someone's coming from another language, generics might mean something else in their mind. And can you give a 
30,000 foot overview of what generics and PureScript relates to? The specific instance of generics we're using is more like the representation of the type. So if, say, we're working with a record, it actually lets us inspect the elements of the record and say, okay, for this field, let's handle it where the type that this field is supposed to be as an int. So let's keep this in mind and work with that. So it's a way of working with the representation of the order structure of the type itself, if that makes any kind of I think that might give some clarity at least because it sounds like it's knowing your data structure, knowing your types, because you have that. You can then start to traverse your records knowing your types and I don't want to say dynamically, but you can dispatch based off that type to the appropriate show method or whatever because you have the polymorphism there that's built into the language. Is that did I understand that correctly? Yeah, I guess in some way. At least the representation instance gets statically resolved to the single instance so that when you run it it's basically right there just to use. I guess it'd be easier for me to just point out similar approaches where, say, in for Scala users, they'd be using like Shapeless. And for JS users, I guess a lot of people have used like Joy. So Joy schema is also like you just like run through like the structure of object, figure out like some information about it. So that's kind of generics. They said generics, you can just automatically drive them so you don't have to do any manual work. And since we're coming up on the end of our time, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, you mentioned you've got your Egghead course, you've done some demos, you've got your one Egghead I.O. thing that's already out, and we'll get links to that in show notes, which is the JSON serialization, deserialization with generics. And you mentioned some other demos. What are some of the other place things that you would like to let people know about and projects that you've done or things that you've shown off that you want people to know about? The kinds of demos that I've done are like basic Etch-a-Sketch. So just showing that working with PureScript is not too difficult. It's less than 50 lines of actual application code to write a fully functioning Etch-a-Sketch with keyboard inputs. I've also written like a leaning HTML parser, kind of like TechSoup from Haskell. So just showing that like writing a parser actually doesn't have to be hard. It's quite straightforward with PureScript. And the... Long-standing projects I've had are related to like scraping a web page for like some information to download stuff. So there's just all kinds of applications that people can use PureScript for with Node and Browser.js. So are the best places to find those demos and those projects out on your GitHub repo, or are there other places to find your demos? They're all in my GitHub repo. And I also have a bunch of slides on Speaker Deck. So if you go to speakerdeck.com slash Justin Wu with two O's, then I have a bunch of slides there about PureScript stuff and also some like Haskell and Elm stuff. Okay. And that was kind of the things is if you mentioned some of these things you're working on, give people a good resource that say, hey, if I'm just now getting in to be able to piggyback off of some of the stuff that you've shown off, the power of PureScript for. So We'll get links to the couple of GitHub repos in the show notes, your speaker deck slides, so people can come back and check the show notes and find out more. And do you have any other upcoming appearances? Are you going to any conferences, either as a presenter or as a speaker that you're planning on attending, that people could find you at? Yeah, so I'll be at CycleConf. So CycleJS, we have a 
a small user conference. Well, it probably won't be super small, maybe over 100 people, but we're going to have some small talks and have some hacking sessions and stuff. So that's going to be in Stockholm. And I think st- tickets are st- still going to be on, s- yeah, still going to be on sale by the time this airs. So that's in Stockholm, a cycle to SCONF. I'm going to be at Zurihack most likely in June. So I'm not like a very big Haskeller, but I'm, I've been writing like a, some small utilities for myself with Haskell. So I'll be there just to learn from people and to participate. And I think that's about it. And then where can people find you and follow along? You mentioned your blog. You've got your Twitter account. Where are the best places for people to find you? For my online presence, I guess everything is on Twitter. I post demos every now and again, just like really silly demos on GitHub a lot. So if they follow me on GitHub, they'll see those. And I'm here in Helsinki. So there are actually quite a good number of us, I think, in Helsinki. And there's at least four other PureScript developers in town. So yeah, people will find me in Helsinki, I guess. That sounds good. So I'll get get your GitHub site added to the show notes and we'll get your Twitter account added to the show notes so people can find you online and follow you and keep up to date with what's going on. I'd like to give a giant thank you to David Belcher for the logo. And once again, thank you, Justin, for taking your time to join me today. It was a pleasure talking to you and finding out more about what it is in the PureScript world. It's been a while since I've looked. I kind of try and keep an eye on it roughly, but there's a lot of movement around. So it's nice to see and get someone on that keeps their pulse on the PureScript world a little bit more and see what's what in the world of functional programming and how it relates to PureScript. So thanks for taking your time to join me today. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Until next time, this has been Functional Geekery.